I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge. If this is your first time listening to our podcast, let me explain. You know, all of us have had teachers or coaches or professors who inspired us, even changed our lives in some way. Well, it's our job to seek out and talk to those people, and you're going to help us do it. That's how we get every guest on our show is nominated by the very people who listen to it. So, Go be one of those people. Suggest an educator in your life, someone that immediately jumps to your mind when I describe that person, and email their name to teacherslounge at niu.edu. I'm thrilled to be bringing you a new episode. This week we have Deb Baird. She has ran her own at-home daycare business since 1984. Yeah, same year Michael Jordan got drafted. Just a great year to be starting new things in Illinois. Anyway, my own basketball references aside, uh, Deb was described to me as a, quote, preschool wizard and I'm not a hundred percent certain on what exactly that means but I think it speaks to how highly people think of her and how good she is at raising and teaching kids so of course we talk about her 36 years raising hundreds of kids from her own home and how it's changed as she's gotten older her focus on nature especially the monarch butterflies and so much more those things to learn over time whether you're a one-year-old and I put the little leaf in front of him and he sees the caterpillar and his eyes widen to the two-year-old who gets it a little bit more and points to it to a three-year-old who, who gets, Hey mom, 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 there's, you know, this many more to a six-year-old who now understands each and every step and can draw it on a piece of paper. That's where that cycle comes in that I like to see that if I'm caring for a young child, that that cycle happens in that brain. He just keeps on learning. We also talk about how COVID-19 has affected her as it has affected every family in business. How do you even explain a global pandemic to a group of kids? We get into all that. So Deb, of course, describes her daycare as a family. It's in her home, a lot of the kids she's been helping raise since they were babies. So like many families, Deb is having to try and help one of the kids in her daycare with their new remote learning activities now that school has started digitally. Parents often have to rely on daycares like Deb because they have to work all day and they usually just send their kids to school, but that's not always an option these days. So recently, as this new school year of e-learning, remote learning, whatever has started, I've been hearing from a bunch of parents about the biggest challenges so far and how families are handling this new normal. We've just had a morning recess in this hat. Oh, no, what happened? I don't know, but she's just coming crying. Oh, no. Did that land on your foot? Are your toesies okay? We'll have fun, okay? Yes, after the first day, my son asked for morning recess. That is Colleen Chavez. She's a mom with two young kids in the DeKalb School District. Remote learning for her family is going more smoothly than she expected, save for a few recess injuries. DeKalb, along with other school districts in northern Illinois, delayed their in-person start in favor of remote learning. E-learning in the spring was overwhelming, and like many, Chavez's family chose to stop doing it. Now, she says, it feels like teachers have made it much more organized. But it has been tough for her daughter starting kindergarten. Christine Ariaga also has a kindergartner in DeKalb, and she struggled to try and help her daughter with her work. I was never trained to teach someone how to read and write. Her daughter had a video meeting with her whole class, which Ariaga described as a hot mess. She looked kind of down almost. I think it was probably because it is so hard for all of them to engage. I could tell she wanted to just unmute and engage and couldn't because that's not what they were doing in that moment. 
She says her daughter's done much better with pre-recorded videos that her teachers made. Carol Leadingham has seven children in DeKalb schools. Having them all work at the same time in the house hasn't been as chaotic as she imagined. Everyone has their own Chromebook and there's enough space, although siblings will occasionally cameo in the background of someone else's Zoom call. Nicole Herbert has also run into that issue, especially with one of her kids trying to talk with their social worker. It is very awkward, especially since when they do their Zoom meetings, you know, their siblings are around and they're like, they don't want them to hear. Remote learning has been successful for her kids, she says, especially her son in middle school. He has more options in the new digital format, like making a video instead of writing out an assignment. They've never seen him so engaged. They've never seen him participate or do his work or be excited about things. But that flexibility really helped him a lot. Teresa Nordquist has five kids who are students in DeKalb. And one of her son's assessments of e-learning made her feel a little bit better. It felt like school. He was like, well, it was a normal, boring first day of school. We went over the syllabus. But at least I was comfortable. She stresses that the teachers have been doing an excellent job getting creative within the confines of remote learning. Nordquist says she also sees potential for schools to utilize the advantages of e-learning beyond the pandemic. It could allow students to learn at their own pace, whether accelerated or if they need extra attention. She says it could open access to classes they wouldn't normally be able to offer. And right now, it gives her a window into a part of her children's lives she wouldn't normally have. I love being able to overhear what they're saying to their teachers and the way they're interacting with their classmates. Like, there's nothing like hearing your 13-year-old laugh at a comment by the science teacher. Childcare has been a major issue for some parents who work during the day when their kids would be in school. Lawanda Lacey and her husband were able to shift their work schedules, but they still have to have a babysitter for four hours a day. Her son runs cross country, and that's one of the fall sports still running this fall, despite restrictions. Because they would run against Noah Kingston and they had a positive case, we opted for him not to do cross country just because that could potentially cause a COVID case. Lacey says her kids are still interacting with their friends. Nordquist agrees, and her kids and their friends have met up virtually over Minecraft. Other parents are more skeptical about their kids being able to connect with classmates. Christine Ariaga's daughter in kindergarten was especially bummed out about not being able to go to school for the first time in person. For her, school was, I get to meet other kids, and I'm going to meet my bestie. That's what she said. I can't wait to meet my forever bestie. It's unclear when students could start returning to school, but... Many DeKalb parents say they don't see it happening this fall. Now sit back and relax. Scroll the windows down if you're in the car. Pour yourself a drink if you're at home. It's time for the main part of the show, my conversation with daycare wizard, Deb Baird. Do you have any kids that are in your house right now? Or I have one little guy napping, yes. And two just left. So um, Mondays are a little bit slower, so that's why today worked well. Perfect. I was uh, hoping for, you know, maybe every once in a while on one of these calls, you get someone like running behind in the background or something like that. Well, I thought maybe my dog would, but he's over on the couch. So maybe he won't join us. <laughs> well, I'd love to have him if he can. <laughs> yeah. If he wants to come over, we'll see. He might. Okay. Yeah, it was funny. I, when I got the email as that was formally nominating you to be on the show, which was really nice. Well, super nice too. Well, yes. I, wonder, I wonder who that super nice person is. I can tell you. I can tell you after we finish recording. I'll, I'll, okay. It's not. A, it's not a secret. Uh, okay. One of the things I thought was really funny was that they they referred to you as a as an in home preschool wizard, and I'm yeah. like I'm not a hundred percent sure what that means, but it seems like a great compliment. It sure does. Maybe just means all the things that you do at 
one time sometimes. Maybe that's what it means. <laughs> Do you feel like you're constantly juggling a hundred different things? All the time. Yeah. I mean, whether you're cooking or managing some disagreements or needing to help someone in the bathroom, you know, everything can happen at the same time, especially when you want to serve them food. Right. And everything is happening in your house, right? In my house. Yes. On a given day, you said it's a little slower on Mondays, but like on a given day, like how many kids are going to be in your house and like at what age ranges could they be? I typically this fall have five. So I was supposed to have four, but because of the pandemic, I have a schoolager. So we're managing with that family and how they're handling school and how we're handling it a little bit here. So mm -hmm. today was our first try. He's six. And I've cared for him since he was a baby. Oh, so, really? And I have his brother, who's four, almost five, and another four-year-old, and his sibling, who's one. And then another little guy who's sleeping right now, and he's two. So you were helping out with the uh, the remote learning today? This was the first day We that? tried it, yes. We How did, did that go? Well, not bad. We The mom helped us get, in, get it all set up. Um, they lost video or sound a couple times. I guess it was their fault. We thought it was ours. So um, trying to coordinate between tabs for them is sort of hard between classrooms. That, mm -hmm. that was hard. Right. But he, you know, he paid attention as much as he could in a group of other children. Yeah. I think that's pretty challenging to stay focused on the computer like we're talking and he can hear or see everything that's going around playing around him. Right. Oh, it's tough. It is. And I, I mean, it's hard enough for me to do as like a, someone that's supposed to be a professional in all of this, but for right. a kid trying to like stay serious and stay focused on work with everything, like, especially like if they have siblings or the parents around, I have no idea how you do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was our first time and it, it, did, it did okay, but on a slow day. So we'll see how tomorrow goes. I would imagine that the one-year-old is going to get involved in helping us uh, look at the video screen <laughs> probably yeah. tomorrow. So, but he's okay. It's a, it's the first try I want him to get on if he can. So right. Parents have to work. So. And I mean, that was a huge conversation around whether or not school is going to go back in person right. too, right? It was like, yeah. some people rely on that as childcare of like, I have to be at work yeah. all day. They have to be somewhere. And well, and these are teachers. I mean, this mom is a teacher. How is she going to teach the students on her Zoom or her Google or her Chromebook and also have her son do the same thing? How, how can she manage all that at the same time? I, it's, it's challenging for everyone. Does it feel like you're in more demand these days with the pandemic going on or is it about the same? I was, I was close for just two weeks when the pandemic started and the governor decided that we couldn't be open, but we could open as an emergency, uh, under emergency basis for those essential workers. So I went ahead and opened uh, after two weeks because I have a, I feel like a core, I feel like my family childcare is a family. So we are a core group of, of people who are already together. So as long as everyone was following the safety protocol, I felt like we were safe. Yeah. And they did the protocol the same as what now my licensing requires. I was already doing that for, you know, 16 weeks. And then licensing, of course, comes up with new rules that now we have to follow, which we were basically following. Hand sanitizer, same kind of thing you do into a store. 
we don't wear masks though, just because we've been this core, this pod of, of I think other family child care providers who were closed for a long period of time did open with masks because right. they hadn't seen each other. But yeah. We just had, I've only got a core family group of three families, so. Right, because like you mentioned too, like a lot of these kids you've been caring for since they were. Babies. I mean, literally all, all of them since they were babies. So, I mean, and that, that just puts you in the same position that I think all the families are being just as protected with their health as I am. So I felt comfortable. I didn't feel comfortable taking on other families. Like I would get some calls saying, well, my childcare is closed you know, are you willing to take some other children? I wasn't quite ready for that health mm -hmm. step because I think that we had this group, even though some were in the medical field and some are teachers, I think we just felt safe with the group that we had. So I just kept it with that many children. Yeah, I think everyone's done that like over the course of the months, right? Is that you have a small group of people that you trust and that you know, and that are kind of, you know, in your inner circle. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think as time went on and people were feeling like their inner circle was stretching a little bit, you got a little nervous that some of those families might be seeing a fam you know, another family member, or maybe they went out of town to see that family member. Mm -hmm. And it made you a little nervous, but all those people had been healthy up until that point also. Right. So I just have to know that that's all we can do and we follow our protocols with our temperature checks and hand sanitizer and washing hands and what can you do when a one-year-old slobbering all over toys? <laughs> There's not much you can do. <laughs> I did a story, I think late in the fall or early winter last year, that was about the um, Adventure Works. They had their like little adventures. It was like an, the out, like nature-based outdoor, like kindergarten readiness program. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking compared to, you know, what you do. I'm sure you guys have had a lot of opportunities to, to be outside uh, at this, during yeah, the summer and stuff. I think people were maybe worried about where we were going. I mean, it was really hard for us not to be able to be allowed on a park. So we just, we did a lot of nature in our own yard or we would go to just one of the, play, just everything but a playground. Right. And, and we would find places to be and look at nature or hike or go through just Hopkins Park and roam around and, and look at what we could for nature. and. I, I just think we had to do that. We had to be outside without worrying that we were wearing our masks and we were just enjoying the outdoors because with a group of even five and they're all boys, all boys are busy and they just need to get out. They have to, um, it's important for them. So nature's a big, a big thing for us. Right, but, and that, the, I guess the thing that I was really thinking about too was about so many like childcare programs like you guys, like they talk about how like one of the biggest focuses is, you know, social emotional development. It's gotten a lot more complicated and a lot more challenging to be social in the way that you'd encourage kids to do normally. Right. And I wonder if we think about like what the possible long-term effects of this could be. I think I could see it for the first time watching this six-year-old who was supposed to start school last year, oh, last week. And it just didn't work out for the family to coordinate it. And then we said, well, let's try it. And he was there. He, he listened to the teacher. He saw some of these children who were all trying to, you know, push the right tab or, or get on the right, turn off your microphone, put on your microphone. And is that social? 
is that it's not, it's not social emotional anymore. I mean, they're not getting any of that and they're barely getting what I could see. I mean, for this first experience for a, a six-year-old school in itself and all of those children who are missing out. And at least my group, they've got the five of them together and, and me, their core person that they've known since they were babies. Yeah. So that's, and it is scary to go to a park and then worry whether you're supposed to be by that child. Right. You know, like if somebody else comes in and they're, they brought their children. I think that person's just as nervous. Like they're not in our pod. So how do we play in the same playground and not worry? I mean, I don't know if I, the children worry so much because they're six and under. Have you been getting like questions about, you know, the state of the world and COVID? Like, are you hearing some of these like concerns or questions from the kids uh, in your pod? Yeah. Not too much from this group besides, I think the children just call it the germs, when the germs are gone. The germs. That's how life is, you know, if something's going on and like, oh, well, I hope we can do that when the germs are gone. Because yeah. how do you explain it to the children? Right. Especially that young. I mean, think, I think the six-year-old knows it more, but it, it's something, it's, it's a concept that they don't really grasp, I don't think. I'm sure that like every parent is having the same question, right? Like how much do you even try to explain the concept of a global pandemic and, uh, you know, uh, trying to limit the amount of particles you're spreading from your mouth? Like how, how into the weeds do we want to go into this besides the germs? Right. And, and I think germs is a simple way to say it. I mean, I've seen some of these children where they've had a plan to go somewhere. And it might have been a vacation that was coming up. And that was right around that spring break time when it all started. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't go. Well, what do they feel? Sadness. And then they, they, you know, they cry. Well, you can't go. Well, you can't go because of the germs. But they're like, because of the germs? I mean, I mean, they get that. Yeah. But to them, it's just they don't get to do what they wanted to do. So was there that two weeks, did you say at the beginning of the pandemic, did you have nobody for two weeks? Two weeks. Once one was the, the spring break, which I would have closed part of the time anyway. So I just closed it. And then the next week I was nervous. And I think the parents were nervous because it was just all new. And I said, nah, I'm, I'm going to close one more week. And they were all fine. You know, they were all fine with it. They coordinated how they could work. And I did lose a family who wasn't ready to come back. Um, they had elderly parent, grandparents in their lives, and it, and it was a risk. And they mm -hmm. just chose to let the grandparents help pitch in what they could. So, you know, it was sad to lose that family. Yeah. But she was going to be a kindergartner, so it was a few months away anyway. And then they had to decide how were they going to go to kindergarten. <laughs> Recently, I've been talking to a lot of parents about this who have just started, you know, their e-learning, like basically like, how has it been so far with this limited sample size? Do you feel okay? And I was asking kind of all of them, like, do you guys think that it's going to go back in person at all, like this right. fall? And they're all like, no, not this fall. And going to school seems like, yeah, I think a privilege in like a different way than we ever considered it. That. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice that it didn't, you didn't have to be closed for too long because I can't imagine that you've had too many weeks since 1984, right? Is when you started this? Right, yeah, it's been 36 years this summer so that I've cared for children. I mean, hundreds, I don't even know how many. I mean, and I ended up going to, um, doing some childcare in high school and really enjoyed that program that they had. 
yeah. and went to Kishwaukee College and got my two-year degree there and happened to intern for a woman named Diane Kubitz. And she did it not very long. She didn't do family childcare, but I just sort of fell in love with it. I was like, this is, this is how I would like to care for children in a family atmosphere, all the different age groups, the mixed groups. Um, I like preschool a lot, but I, I like the mixed groups and how they learn from each other. And she ended up closing her childcare and those children came, followed me. And that's how I got started. And it's just been pretty much by word of mouth the rest of the time. And I think I maybe advertised once or twice 30 plus years ago. And I keep a smaller group now. I mean, I am getting older and I used to have eight. Then I'd go down, you know, maybe six every day. And now it's five. I was supposed to have four this fall. I was looking forward to a smaller group and now we're having to have a school ager because of COVID, but it's all the same families. Mm -hmm. So and we're probably about five or so years away from retiring, if, but it's been an enjoyable job. I've been able to raise our daughters. They're uh, almost 30 and 33. So I opened my family childcare before they were born. So yeah. and they grew up in it and it was just nice to be there for them all the time. In 36 years, have you had any people that went through your program and then had kids who were also in your program? Have you had any, any of that? Yeah, it's, it's been sort of strange to see that happen over time and you go, wow, I really am old. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, do you allow yourself to do the math of like, that was 35 years ago. That means they yeah. are this old. It, it, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I look at the families who the first child I cared for, um, I worked at a restaurant in Kingsway, which was in Sycamore and now it's Parkway. And I got to know that family just through that. And I cared for her, their, their first daughter, just when she was born. And then she joined my group about one and a half or so. And yeah, she's turning 38 this year and she has three children of her own. So it's, it's a big full circle of children that I've cared for over the years and, and watched them grow. And it's been exciting to see them be with me as a, maybe a baby or a one-year-old or a two-year-old and then they head off to school right from here. And I, it makes me feel good that the things that I give them and have let them have activities that are prepare them for school. And I yeah. feel that it, it, they've got that home life at the same time. Have you stayed in contact with, with a lot of them or? The families that I've probably had for the longest, there's, there are many that yes, I've, I've, I've stayed in contact, contact with them or their parents. Mm -hmm. So we become good friends. So that's been special that along the way that you have these families that you make not only a connection with their child, but their family. And then there might be a family that's heading off. And I mean, I know one that just he's 18 and he's heading off to college and I, I was excited for him. I mean, I cared for him, him and his sister since they were babies. And even that just 18, 20 years ago is, is amazing to think. Do you think that it's, is it different? A different. So, are kids, are different. kids at that age different now yeah. than they were then? Or is it about the it same? It's interesting. You think, you know, all these same things. Like I, I have a little guy that's biting. So we're working hard on, you know, how we're going to work on his not biting his friends. And you think, oh, I'm sure there was met every single one of them. You know, they're not, maybe not every child is a biter, but you forget about that. You're like, oh, that wasn't so terrible. We made it through that. And now they're going off to kindergarten. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, geez, this is terrible. Trying to figure, you know, you got to shadow him. You, you got to, 
give them alternatives and you're like, this is a hard job, but it'll pass. Those challenges will pass. Yeah. And that's just a typical stage. But then you look at something else like as simple as, and Peter, this is probably funny, but you think of, I serve children food all the time. So it's, you know, breakfast and snack and lunch. Yeah. And we have these certain plates and they're Disney plates. And now at my age, now we have the older ones that the kids are like, well, what, what is that Disney movie? But what is a bug's life? life? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Like, you know, any of those ones or the original Dalmatians, you know, my mm -hmm. son, my kids don't even know or Aladdin or something like that. So we'll pull those out and it's the same. Doesn't matter what age group they are. They all fight over the same thing. They fight over the plates. They fight over, you know, whose turn is it to have this or who gets to sit next to Deb or who sits next to, you know, my dog Henry, or, you know, it's, it's just the same. It's, I wouldn't say there's any more. It's not like some children are playing more weapons than they did 25 years ago. They're, it's all the same. Yeah. I think especially for kids that age, because I think once you get older and like into school, then you could be like, oh, technology has changed. Oh, all these dynamics have changed. But I don't imagine as much as, you know, kids that are three and four, like do know how to maneuver around iPads now. Like I'd imagine that for the most part, a one-year-old kid is about as tech savvy as a one-year-old kid was in 1984, I would think. Yeah. If you look at tech savvy, they would, if, if my phone, I would say I've advanced where years and years ago, I would take regular pictures of children and I'd hand them to the families because they liked them, you know, because I wanted to see, show them what we were doing in our day because they're missing out. They didn't know. Now with tech savvy, it's way different. I can spend, I've probably shot off six, seven pictures to the one family of the two-year-old and the mom feels comfortable. She's like, oh. Oh, good. He's playing trucks today, you know, right. or he, he just finished, you know, eating or he did whatever he did. If he's sitting with a group of kids and that's super different for me than it was years ago, probably within the last, maybe even just five years, how much yeah. I use my phone to sure. communicate with my parents. So they, they aren't worried in their day. They can see a little glimpse of their child's day right there in an instant. Evidence. <laughs> yeah. It, well, and it is, it's like, okay, well, he feels, you know, it feels good. Or if we do have a situation, somebody fell and hurt themselves, I can quickly tell them, I'm keeping an eye on them. They've got a little bruise. Just, you know, I want you to know that this is what happened. And then they respond back to me quickly. And if something happens either, even medically, if something's, they, they're not feeling good, they can, they can, I can reach out to them quickly. Yeah. But if somebody's sad in the morning, mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to drop off your child and you walk away and that, that little guy's crying. You want to know in a few minutes, he's okay. I send, I send a picture and say, look, he's fine. He's playing with whatever. So. Yeah. I was just having this conversation with my parents actually, because, and we were thinking about, like you said, all this has happened, not just gradually over time, but it feels like the last five years has been exponentially different. Yes. And I think about like, like I'm not that, I wasn't, it wasn't that long ago that I was a child <laughs> and I, you know, I was in sports, I was in baseball, basketball and football and stuff growing up. And I was commenting to my mom about like how rare it is to ever find a picture or especially a video of me doing those things. I was like, there's hardly any evidence that any of that actually happened because right. like taking a picture was a tedious. It was a thing to do. You had to stop what you were doing. Are we going to have to ask some stranger to take a picture of us? Right. It'd be this whole thing. And now I feel like if I was, if I was 11 and playing sports right now, there'd be a thousand hours of video 
that my mom would have that she'd be shooting at every single game. There'd be live photos. There'd be all these different things. Yeah. They'd be posted on social media. And that seems dramatically different just within the last five years. It's, and that's very true because we recently just moved to this, to the house we're in now. And uh, I realized, as I told my soon to be 30 year old daughter, what, what am I going to do with all these photo albums? You know, where am I going to store them in this house? You know, we don't have a basement. The other house, we had a basement or we had cupboard space. And you're like, yeah, where are you going to put all those? You're going to put them up, you're going to put them up in the, in the attic. But for these families, everything is in their phone. I, I just think it's hilarious that there's like years of my childhood that there's just like zero evidence that anything happened. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, like, yes, right? <laughs> no, I mean, who's to say? I, mean, I couldn't prove that I was ever 12 because there's no photos of it. <laughs> oh, they're there somewhere. I'm sure they, yeah. I just, somewhere. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. Yeah. But, but if you think of the, if you think of the phone, I, I can see my two-year-old now, not the one-year-old, but I'm sure it won't take him long. But that two-year-old will pick up my phone he will push those buttons and get to the right thing. Now, yes. did, did a two-year-old 25 years ago do that? No, right. I didn't have that technology. It is mildly terrifying, right? It is, it's very much. For him to know what he wants to get out of my phone, even though it might be locked, but he can flip it and then see like a picture of my dog on there or something. Right. But yeah, to say, hey, I take a picture of him. Can I see it? Can I see that picture? Yeah, you can. I mean, I really wanted to just send it off to their parent. I, I didn't even want them to know that I was taking the picture. Yeah. And, and tech, technology is not a big part about, you know, the actual curriculum of things that, you know, that you're teaching. That's, but no. in the last 36 years, do you feel like your general approach to what you do has changed considerably? And, and if so, what's the biggest thing that has changed about it? I, I mean, I think myself over time, I would, technology has not played a part in how I teach children. No, yeah. I've steered completely away from that and really focused more on nature. We're studying the monarchs and mm. I've really grown over time to be really interested in what the life cycles of the monarch and the need for them to have milkweed in a, in our society that we don't even have it. I mean that the, so we we right now have five chrysalises in a habitat and a couple other caterpillars just chowing away on some milkweed that my husband and I had to pick up yesterday because they were eating through it. But for them to be able to see it hands on, that's what I feel is important for them. Mm -hmm. So in general technology aside, you think it's been pretty similar over the years as to pretty what your similar. approach is? I mean, I look at my toys and go, especially when we just moved, you know, mm -hmm. about two months ago, and I probably had, as you can, 36 years worth of accumulation of things, and we downsized it about half, and I still look through it and I go, wow, this toy is exactly the same toy I bought from Diane Kubitz when she closed 36 years ago, mm -hmm. and it's it's still a toy that they can enjoy. Now there's of course some out there that aren't safe anymore that you're not supposed to use because you're not safe. Yeah. I mean, I try not even to have any batteries in any toys. There's a few toys that we have some batteries, um, but most are all imagination, creativity. You know, keep those minds building. That's what I try to do with the, with the group. Put it out there and see what they do and go with whatever their thoughts, their thought process is and pull out some toys that coordinate around it. So monarch butterflies, this is where we're at right now. Yeah. I'm fascinated. T tell me more about it because 
I, I actually just, you know how during the pandemic, one of our favorite activities has just been walking around aimlessly in our neighborhood, just like trying to find something to do. Yes. Uh, and so I've been, you know, I've explored every single inch of every block around my house. And one of them that I walk by every day or so is this yard that is just overflowing with flowers and plants that is like specifically the milkweed for monarch yeah. butterflies. Tell me more about this. I, I'm fascinated by it, especially with how it goes with the kids. We've lived in this neighborhood, you know, 35 of our years together as mm. a married couple anyway. And our daughters were grew up in this area in Little John's school. It seems like we've just noticed that the bite of the monarch butterfly has just dwindled without having milkweed. Yeah. So I've done my best to put milkweed into my gardens. I have a big flower garden at the other house and now working on it at this new house. And it's just that they really have to have this milkweed in order to grow up. That's where the eggs start. And that's what the, the monarch butterfly or the monarch caterpillar will eat. And that's it. You cannot put them, if, if you run out of monarch or the milkweed, they, they just can't, they can't finish their growth, their cycles. Mm. So we literally got them in the teeniest little egg and they're so small. It's like, if you look at the tip of your fingernail, that's how small these are. Like I now almost have to get my magnification glasses out so you can <laughs> find them. You know, I yeah. do. The kids can see them. But then they'll grow over a two week period to this nice plump caterpillar and we move them to the next habitat and it which is just like a little netting you know I, I made one up and then I have another one and they'll just go up to the top and form this chrysalis and just the just last week we were able to videotape my six-year-old boy had been watching because he'd seen it every single year of his life you know and in the the older they get the more they understand they understand the metamorphosis that happens and all these cycles so he was watching it and it was in a J. They, they go upside down and form a J, the shape of a J. And then they split their skin and the skin literally goes up to the top. They push it off by wiggling like a little wiggle dance and it falls off. And he said, guys, 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 it's, it's happening. It's happening. It's turning green. He was so excited. We came over and I did use my technology. I got my phone out and that happens so fast, Peter. It just happens so fast that if you're not there, it's like a minute, 20 seconds. That's how fast that happens. And he turns into a green chrysalis, hangs. Oh. And I got it on the video and I sent it off to the parents and they're like, I have never seen that before. I've never seen, like there's people, you've never seen that experience. And these three, four, three of them that were old enough got to see that change. And that's an amazing, an amazing scientific, like, how does it happen? Yeah. You can't even, even watching it, how does that happen in nature? That, it's, it's crazy. It's borderline it's, magic from a pre, totally, preschool wizard. <laughs> where somebody says it's a wizard because yeah. those things to learn over time, whether you're a one-year-old and I put the little leaf in front of him and he sees the caterpillar and his eyes widen to the two-year-old who gets it a little bit more and points to it, to a three-year-old who, who gets, hey, mom, 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 there's you know this many more, to a six-year-old who now understands each and every step and can draw it on a piece of paper and then show his parent that what's, that's what's happening. Yeah. So that's where that cycle comes in, that I like to see that if I'm caring for a young child, 
that that cycle happens in that brain it just keeps on learning all the way through every single time no matter how many times they see it every year and now pretty soon we're going to have five well we've already released one butterfly because mm -hmm. as soon as they they come out and their wings dry we release them because they're needed you know this is just we've taken their habitat yeah i love that i i you know when i was a kid i I did a lot of like camping and, and hiking and climbing trees and stuff like that. And so like, I'm, you know, my family's all distance runners too. So I, I spend a lot of time running outside and stuff. And so I think those are the type of experiences that like, not only like just cement your like curiosity and enjoyment of the outdoors, but also like you said, there was a, a larger education of, you know, understanding and trying to point to the science behind the magic of it too. Right. Yeah. It, and it's, you know, and that's what you just talked about going and, and climbing a tree. I mean, we've, these are the things that I want for these kids. You know, you know, somebody else say, well, why don't you, why don't you have a playground, you know, a little climber in the backyard? Well, you know, there's plenty of that. We can go to a park, but if we can go down to the end of 10th street where I used to, where I was and have these big, big oak trees sitting there and basically they call it oak savanna and we go down there and they can climb that tree. Maybe not when they're, they can't do it when they're one, but they can walk, walk around it. They can pick up acorns, these oak trees. Two-year-old, you can't really quite do it, but the third year with a little help from Deb's foot, I can get up there. And then the fourth year, they can do it. And then the fifth year, they're jumping from it. Yeah. So all of those stages are just fascinating to see them grow and be a part of nature. They need to have that, that that skill that, oh, I, I don't feel good. I don't think I can do that. That's okay. You don't have to do it this year. Maybe you're going to want to do it the next time we come. Yeah. Maybe you're not going to be ready, but maybe you'll be ready when you're four. Right. Yeah. And that's the type of curiosity that is school is such a humongous part, part of that you're like, I hope that any of that doesn't get affected by everything going on. Right. And, it, and it's hard because when they're at least here, they have, I don't know, in their world, they're not going, these kids aren't going to stores. I mean, they shouldn't be. So they're right. not going in and out of stores. They don't have to go and put their mask on. I mean, there might be kids who are doing that, but you really shouldn't. You shouldn't be taking your child into those things. But yeah. their life here is normal. Yeah. You know, it's, it's still dab. We're, you know, they still have the same toys. They, they're still eating the same food. They're still seeing the same people. And we're playing outside and doing whatever, you know, we're, we're dancing to music or whatever we're doing painting. That's normal for them. They've got some normalcy. Those parents can drop off and go to their tough jobs with all of the other things they have to do. The only thing that's changed for these guys is their mom and dad will say, just a minute, just a minute. I didn't get your temperature. Okay. Go wash your hands before you touch toys. I mean, those are the things that's changed for them. Yeah. Otherwise it's normal and that's what's important for them. Perfect. All right. Well, have a great one. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show. This is how we get all of our guests like Deb. Send them our way. Teachers Lounge at NIU.edu. That is Teachers Lounge at NIU.edu. And wherever you're hearing this, subscribe, leave us a rating, like us, share us, whatever you can do. It really helps get more people to listen. Thanks, of course, to Deb for being on our show this week. Big thanks to the Northern Illinois band, Kind Ups, for all the music that you hear throughout our podcast. And thanks to Spencer Tritt for making our logo. I've been your host, Peter Medlin. Send us more of those suggestions, and we'll talk very soon. Thanks. Thanks.